Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hello, Micah. <laughs> it's spooky season. Wait, can I tell you? Okay, before we get into the actual news... I saw a poster the other day, and it was beautiful. I wish this was a video podcast so that I could bring it up and show you. But Ugh. Well, I could show you, but not the rest of the world. But it was a beautiful poster, very like 30s monster movie vibe. And there's like a tiny little private library nearby that I've been meaning to go to of like antique books. The Rosenbach Museum, if you are ever in Philadelphia. But they're doing this thing at some point probably has happened by the time this publishes for Halloween of they are doing an overnight reading of Dracula. Wow. Bram Stoker. They're just going to hang out and read it all night in a spooky voice, I hope. And not even going to lie, I might go. Might spend all night listening to a spooky storytelling. Tell me how that goes. In high school, we had a paranormal club, and I feel like they used to do stuff like that paranormal club that is the coolest thing i've ever heard of mm-hmm. went to a high school that prided itself on the variety of clubs and activities they had that is very cool oh my gosh this thing is from 4 p.m to 9 a.m <laughs> like i don't know if i can survive that <laughs> like it sounds awesome but i don't know if i could anyway happy spooky season yeah, we were trying to figure out the origins of this episode. The artwork and the title has probably given it away by now, but I was like, how did we land on tattoo lettering? And then I was like, I think we want to do something Halloween-themed. And then I think the next tangential thoughts was tattoos can be dark and <laughs> spooky. <laughs> See, I don't remember this. I just remember being like, oh, you know, it'd be a cool topic is like researching typography behind tattoos. And then I think, well, you were just saying, like, we tried a, a spooky-themed episode last Halloween, and, like, nobody cared that much. Like, it was like, oh, that's okay. Yeah. And then we were like, shoot, we don't have a good idea. I don't know. Tattoos. Tattoos. The typography of tattoos. Get ready. I learned a lot by doing a lot of this research, and really interesting connecting it to some of the other research I've done on letter forms in subcultures. Definitely lots of connections between kind of underground typographic ventures and the tattoo world so tattoo tattoo world (laughs) oh gosh but before that we have some fun links to talk about and this whole newsletter is basically sponsored by micah because he found most of the links this week i think steph said sponsored by the letter m yep sponsored by the letter m for micah which unrelated to this i just have to share one of my friends from college She's a great designer illustrator, but also teaches horseback riding and is teaching the Sesame Street puppets how to ride horses on an episode soon. That's adorable. Crazy. All right. Anyway, you said sponsored by the letter M. Yeah, that was a far stretch, but it's okay. (laughs) Let's uh, dive into the first article, which uh, you brought to the table this week. Yeah, this is one of those cool articles that is kind of animated as you read it. Very stylized, very art-directed, as the kids say. And it is about, uh, well, it's titled The World Needs a Tech Diet. Here's how designers can help. Which, considering we had an episode recently about diet diets and nutrition facts, I thought it was kind of interesting tie-in. Yeah, I was actually very confused when I looked at this article because it 
you open it up and the header image is a bunch of really stylized nutrition facts about social media companies. Then when you like zoom in, you can see the facts are about certain data, whether that's hashtags on Instagram or notifications. I love the nutrition facts about Facebook. Notifications, ex-boyfriend alerts, 33%. Groups you don't care about, 11%. So like definitely (laughs) worth checking out that graphic. And I actually didn't really know much about tech health and dark patterns, which seems to be a theme of this about all the like things that are affecting all the ways that all of our digital consumption is geared around gamification and addiction. Have you heard of the term dark design patterns before? Yes, definitely. But certainly in the realm of UX, which I feel like is not a thing that comes across your plate as much as it does for mine. But dark patterns, if you're unfamiliar, is basically using what we've learned about psychology and user interaction to get you to do things that are good for people other than you, like good for the company and not good for you. Yeah. I loved all the emotional adjectives they use to describe this. You know, it says eager for clicks and views. Tech platforms are always looking for new ways to use basic human instincts like shame, laziness, and fear to their advantage. And we've all seen those pop-ups. Like there's one example here of 14 simple dinners for one if you just give us your email. And then the way to exit out of it is click a link that says, no thanks, I'll have microwave dinner tonight. So it's like the copywriting and the design are Mm -hmm. like manipulation tactics 101. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's, That's the perfect way to describe it. It is like knowing what we have learned from good UX but using it manipulatively. One of the things that that stood out to me was honestly, there's like a screenshot in this article of Bumble. Dating apps are the worst at this. Okay, maybe not the worst. Facebook might be the worst, but they're notorious for this, where you're on a dating app because you're single and don't want to be. And then this might be TMI for the world, but like I'm on some dating apps. Not TMI. Let's be transparent for the sake of design. (laughs) Vulnerable. (laughs) I'm not super active on them. It's not like a high priority in my life, but I still have some accounts. And so they're like, I don't use them that much. And they know that I don't use them that much. And so 90% of my notifications are something to like guilt me or trick me into opening the app again. Like, hey, Mm -hmm. somebody liked you and click on this to see who it is. And you click on it and then. It brings you into the app, but because I'm not paying, I don't actually get to see who it is, even though they worded it as if I would. And so then it brings me right to the buy a premium package account or whatever, you know, and it's that kind of stuff that's dark. We can all think of tons of ways these things have been designed to keep us addicted and consuming. And they talk about like the most base minimal things that these companies can do. They, you know, they do discuss it. Like Apple has that screen time monitor that you can look on your iPhone. Instagram will tell you when you're all caught up with your feed. But a lot of that is reaction to a lot more media running press about the negative effects of technology. And they talk about that in this article too. If you are working at a tech company and you see that a dark pattern is going to be implemented, if it 
really feels imperative that it's not. They like recommend designers to mock up headlines that shame the tech company, like shame the hypothetical tech company for using a dark pattern. It's a dark pattern against dark patterns. Yeah. It's interesting that some people really feel so strongly about getting rid of these factors in tech when I I also feel like they don't surprise me anymore. They're not great, but I don't know. You know, I have some experience in this realm because also maybe TMI used to work at an app called Citizen, which if you don't know, is a bit of a problematic app, at least in my opinion. And there were a lot of problematic things behind it. And this happened quite a lot where the designers would suggest some dark patterns. Sometimes it was even like the company owners or people like the managers and stuff would start suggesting these really sketchy things. And I would have to put up a huge fight of like, Hey guys, that's sometimes illegal or wrong or like borderline illegal. But even so it's wrong. That's morally not a good idea. Is that really the kind of company that you want to have? And it was so difficult to fight against because a lot of these tech companies, there's so much pressure. There's tons of investments and tons of users and KPIs and engagement numbers where everybody's watching and and you have to do better every quarter than you did the last, that there's a lot of messed up pressure to try these things. And there's a lot of data that they work. And so you can convince yourself this isn't evil. The mission of the thing that we're doing is a good thing. So we're just trying to nudge people closer to the good thing overall. It's a tough conversation to be like, yo, but this thing is messed up. Yeah. And it's crazy. Even like the one instances you were working like in-house at a tech company, you can just easily recount times that that conversation was kind of running through your head. It's tough. I do think tech companies have a lot of responsibility to also make decisions based off of like how us as a society is being totally drained by media. But then I also think this sort of education will just keep people more and more aware that these things are designed within the products. And I really enjoyed this article. And I love that the last piece of advice was that it's not a detox, it's a re-education, talking about how a lot of these digital detoxes, plans that mindfulness leaders kind of talk about getting rid of all your digital parts of your life are just like short-term fad diets, whether that's something where you're like doing fasting for a short period of time, there's not actually a long lasting change. So it's instead about educating yourself on like how things are designed and just being really conscious about your tech habits. If that's something that you want to reduce, which I think like we all can reduce a little bit. I even am conscientious of it on a day-to-day, but still feel like sometimes I just want to like mindlessly scroll TikTok for like an hour. And then I'm just like, what am I doing? My therapist has helped me realize what that is doing. And that's, oh, yeah? you know, that's like education that is outside of the app. Like it's not the app's responsibility to realize that I'm like having a freeze or fawn response and need to dissociate. Like it's not, mm-hmm. it's not the app's responsibility, but it is kind of our responsibility to learn about ourselves and, and where yeah. our limits are. And we're saying all this negative stuff, but there's a lot of really good suggestions in this article. And mm-hmm. it is certainly an app designer's responsibility to take into account mental health. Bullet point number five in this is just to summarize, like it's saying, you know, here's an example, nice looking Facebook 
notification of so-and-so did this on the app or whatever. And as designers, we're used to thinking about happy paths, ideal flows, and all the great ways people will engage with our products. But what are some of the ways that can cause unintended harms? And they list like a bunch of mental health issues. That's like, it's difficult as a designer to keep that in mind as you're designing something, but it is a fundamental responsibility to think, okay, we have to design this for both the good and like if somebody's struggling, how are they going to feel about this? Yeah, that's a really good way to put it. And just something really deep thinking about our everyday routines and how those are just reimagined. All right. Yeah, don't want to spend essay. too much longer, but just we could spend a little nerd alert on like that sort of topic. But you should. Mental health is like a thing that you champion a lot. We should consider having a. Yeah. I don't know what that would look like, but something. I don't know either, but I think we could gather some resources on that. Next article is a Twitter thread. How did you find this? Look, I've been looking for work a lot lately. And <laughs> as much as I hate it, a lot of people are like, hey, here's a job opening. And they just post it on Twitter. DM me if you want to hear about it. And I'm like, Ugh, all right, I guess I should probably be looking at Twitter. So I've been looking at Twitter more than I'd like lately. Mm-hmm. So this is a tweet thread from somebody named The Cultural Tutor, who I don't even follow. I don't know how it ended up on my timeline. Doesn't matter. Somebody must have retweeted it. It's a Twitter thread of a brief history of your favorite fonts, which I don't think anybody is going to say these are your favorite fonts. I don't know if that's supposed to be in jest or if they actually think these are everybody's favorites. But they're like... The standard fonts that are installed on everybody's computer, like where Times New Roman come from. It was commissioned by the Times newspaper in Britain in 1931 as an update to the quote-unquote spindly 19th century typeface they used at the time. Mm. Yeah, this is like a very good brief overview for for your everyday person that might not know font history but is entertained by it. This reminds me of when I first read Just My Type and was like, whoa, I have a fact about every font that like installed on a Microsoft Office platform. And then I just like go around telling people like, future is on the moon. Did you know that? It's on the moon. (laughs) Right. But lots of fun facts for people that don't have that deep knowledge yet of the font world. And also fun stuff is that Jokerman, the jokiest font of all of them, so absurd, was named after a Bob Dylan song. So I do have to admit, I learned something new today. Yeah. Jokerman, I remember using that on on flyers when I was in fourth grade and had a inkjet printer or whatever. Laser printer? I don't remember the difference. Yeah. It's a good fourth grade font. It's actually quite appropriate. Speaking of Halloween time, chiller. That was every (laughs) Halloween party invite in middle school. Am I wrong? Oh, my God. God, so funny. Yeah, I feel like still often Halloween invites from like your neighborhood pub trivia place or something like yeah, definitely still going on. I actually noticed when I was in Adobe Fonts the other day, they have a bunch of categories that you can sort with where it's like fancy cursive, like handwritten, art deco. And one of the categories was Halloween. And I was like, that is honestly genius. <laughs> Not necessarily all of them looking like chiller, but things that like look a little macabre or like have that kind of edge to them. I've had to design so many random flyers for a Halloween event at college, and that probably would have saved me some time. Not going to lie. Interesting. 
a good seasonal pick. And also, hey, if you like this Twitter thread and you click through to the Cultural Tutors website, they have a library of Twitter threads on all manner of topic. From a library to, of Twitter threads. Right? It's like bite-sized education on culture. Love it. Like rhetoric, architecture, literature, churches. I don't know. A bunch of Love stuff. It. Short bite-sized lessons. What else do yeah. we need? <laughs> Last link we're going to talk about before Nerd Alert time is the new typeface for Brawn, which I was particularly very excited about you found this one micah i did i don't remember where maybe also twitter i have no idea uh but brawn if you don't know is a company <laughs> is that what you're gonna say <laughs> full stop i mean i can <laughs> fill in for funny. you it's a yeah. it's an industrial design company you may know them from their like razors electric razors electric toothbrushes i think about brawn They've made household goods like small clocks and been around for a minute. They're probably in like the MoMA design collection. So like well-known minimalist product design brand, like literal products, not digital ones. So they have a custom typeface designed by the folks at Braun and Icon Work, which I didn't know this company before this article. But you definitely know the work that they have done. Do I? Yeah, I looked through their portfolio because I, I too was a little confused because frankly, the fonts that they're illustrating that they made for Braun looks so much like the branding of the site that you're on, which is their portfolio, that I didn't realize they were different at first. I thought this was just Braun's site about the font, but it's IconWorks portfolio that we're looking at. And then I clicked through and I was like, oh, Google, Ikea, Disney. Mm-hmm. Microsoft, mm-hmm. Airbnb, they made the icons for Microsoft Teams and mm. Kayak and Verizon and Volvo and like Norwegian Airlines, like so many things that I didn't realize they make icons. That's wild. That's, I mean, That's they're the good icons. Company. Yeah, I'm looking at some of these right now too. It's always impressive because you just think there's like not more than a few ways to do an icon, but. Whenever you see like really well done illustrated icons, no, oh, there are more yeah. ways. And actually, now that I'm looking at it too, we're saying they. I think it's one person. Oh shoot! I did notice the article was in a first person perspective. And it definitely took me. Like I'm realizing it in this moment, but you know, on iconwork.com, if you go back to the homepage at the very bottom, it's like kind of signed off by somebody who looks like Stefan Stephen mm, nice. Stefan Zalius. And I clicked on the Twitter, and it's this guy's face. So, like, that's probably not a company. That's a person. Impressive. I see that, too, now. Wow. Well, Stefan. Cool. Really excited to share the work you did for the Braun font called Braun Linear. I also think this is just a really nice case study. I highly enjoy looking at some of the examples of you just them talking about choices made within the typography. The previous typeface that they were using was Helvetica Noia and talking about the decisions within this new fairly workhorsey sans serif 
but I love certain decisions on the form. Like for example, the lowercase u doesn't have a little outward stroke at the end of it to mimic the U in the Braun logo, which I fully support that decision. I think that's like a nice connection. Also, they talk about, they call it the racetrack shape that's popular in Braun's identity as an industrial designer. I'd say it's kind of like a pill shape. And they talk about how it kind of fits into a lot of the letter forms and the details within the letter forms of the font as well. So just excited to see this and as someone that is working on mostly icons interesting foray into the typography world because i'm sure there's lots of really similar principles yeah i don't know if you feel the same too but this reminds me a lot of airbnb's custom font airbnb serial Mm -hmm. which in turn you i think we were talking a couple weeks ago about what was it called fig tree by eric kennedy yep that one font yeah Mm -hmm. like workhorsey sort of grotesque but also with some more rounded curves that make it a little bit more friendly feeling yeah it's good like helvetica friendly (laughs) yeah i was honestly a little surprised that braun didn't have their own typeface already i feel like they are one of those industrial designers that like you know from the beginning of their time probably like cared about a complete package of beautiful typography so Mm. i don't know just like just excited for them yeah. It's a genuine excitement. It's like Johnny Ives, right? Oh, is that how you say Apple? his name? Yeah, we've talked about this. I used to call him Johnny Ivy as a child, so I get really surprised when I hear other pronunciations. <laughs> well, I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> but also, this is just my two cents. This feels to me like what IKEA should have done. If IKEA owned this font instead of Verdana when they switched to Verdana five years ago or whatever. They still use Verdana. They sure do. I went there a couple months ago. (laughs) That is a catastrophe. It's not that bad in context in the store. It just looks bad in advertisements. It's just so bulky. It's probably actually not that bad for in the store because you probably care a lot about legibility if someone's looking at something from like six feet away. But that's just, oh my God. I just like. But I could see this font being the font that, like, if IKEA commissioned a custom font for ikea this is where i would see it going i mean ikea's definitely going to commission a custom font it's just a matter of when i think we should start taking some bets (laughs) i bet 10 years from now i bet it's going to be a long time i bet three years from now i bet they've started thinking about it i bet people have pitched it hard and other people have been like i don't see the financial upside yet that's where i bet it is okay like Verdana's working we're gonna use we're gonna use that. That's what I bet. That's where I bet. I know. Goes. And honestly, the only people that care are total font nerds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Everybody else is like, yeah. that's the cheap furniture place, right? Cool. Yeah. Okay. What font? <laughs> what do you mean font? Yeah. Oh God. Well, I'm glad we're on the same page about that. I feel like I was called out last night because I was at my sister and my brother in law's place, and they had these like really nice whiskey glasses with big initial letters that had their name. And my brother-in-law is Ray, so that was R. And the letter is like probably like one and a half by one and a half inches. But Micah, it was an aerial R. Like, I just saw, like, I know what an aerial R is. It's not meant to be printed at like two inches big. (laughs) And I was like severely bothered by this for the rest of the night. I'm not shocked. Was it aerial bold? Capital R? No, I think it was like aerial regular. 
just like what you write emails in. And I actually feel like bold would have made it better. That's why I was hoping it was bold. Wow. Yeah. No, it was a weak, weak regular Ariel. <laughs> weak regular Ariel. I don't know. I'm like still thinking about it. It's bad. <laughs> but uh, I knew you could appreciate that. This is why people think type nerds are snobby. I know my snobbiness really came through, but you know, <laughs> I I fight my battles that I get. You know, I choose the battles. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry you had to live with that. That sounds rough. That sounds like a <sighs> tough evening. Could you even yeah. enjoy the drink? I mean, and that sounds like way less. Ruined. Way less because of that mod choice. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the sympathy. Okay, are we ready for the nerd alert? I'm ready. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm curious, Micah. Do you know anything about the history of tattoo lettering or kind of the state of the industry today or anything about letter forms and tattoos? You have a lettered tattoo, actually. I do. Currently, my only tattoo, even though I'd like more, uh, I drew the letters, except for one letter that my best friend drew that looked exactly like my handwriting. And she makes me tell everybody when it comes up that, hey, she contributed an E in there. Mm -hmm. I mean, she should. Oh, right. (laughs) Well, okay. Let me think. I know a lot of people who love tattoos and have a lot of tattoos, and I have been around tattoos for a long time. I feel like there's a few different genres of tattoos that I'm aware of. Some of them is like old sailor tattoos, like sailor Jerry kind of style where there's like a particular kind of lettering that goes along with that often. Mm -hmm. And then there's certainly a lot of black letter. Like that's a very pervasive type of, typography and tattoos uh i certainly know that there's a lot of scripts in general which i can't say i'm a huge fan of but hey you do you and then i know that there's just a lot of custom lettering because a lot of the culture around tattoos is self-expression and uniqueness and so i i do know that a lot of people take a lot of pride in custom designs which leads to a lot of custom lettering more than fonts i love that did i just do the whole nerd alert are we done is that it? i mean we're done i don't i don't think i need to jump in those are you actually have a very good grip on lettering for tattoos oh, all right <laughs> like, cool. no joke that was a really good warm-up to kind of what we're gonna be talking about i'll kind of break down some of these specific styles that you've been mentioned and put them by name and how they've developed give us a little bit of historical background and then also talk about tattoos and letter forms and where they fit within the typographic and design world and why we're seeing so much and like where that's going to take off to, I think, in the future. Mm, okay. Future. So, can I get, take a deep breath. All right. <gasps> yeah, getting ready. Getting ready and comfy. So I looked at a few resources. We have a couple great articles in the newsletter this week that you should definitely check out. I won't be talking about them individually, but they offer the perspective of some contemporary tattooists that specialize in lettering, some that are more typographic and really graphic, and some that are more kind of flowing and more lettering inspired, and some of the challenges they as tattoo artists have when they're doing lettering. And then my other, those challenges are real. Um, No, no, I'm laughing that you said tattoo unironically. No, did I really? Yeah. (laughs) You're killing me. I've ruined you. you. (laughs) You've ruined me. That's what's happening. Keep going, keep going. It was great. 
So I got those two articles and then I actually got myself a little book that I highly recommend if anyone's interested in what we're talking about today called The Graphic Art of Tattoo Lettering. And I learned a lot of history from there and they have interviews with artists and stuff like that. Quick question. I know you kind of made us a bookshop.org. Is that available on that? Yeah, to get it? I don't know. We'll make it available between the time we uh, record this and the Yeah, I don't know date. how to find stuff on Bookshop. We had a link on our site. I don't know if it still works, but whatever. If you want to find it, it's a good place to get it. Yeah, yeah. We'll include that there. So definitely check it out. And okay, style by style. There are five main styles I talk about in this book. I'll kind of cover a few in more detail than others, but those styles being traditional, West Coast, Script, New School, and Calligraphic. Traditional is where we're going to start because I think that's what everyone thinks about when they think about their old school tattoo designs. So the perfect way I decided I want to describe this on air, since I don't have visual cues, is to make everyone think about that classic heart tattoo with the mom banner Mm. on it. That's an easy visual reference. So this style has major historical roots, in fact, trace back to 18th century mariners. Is that how you say the word? Yeah. Mariners? Yeah, I don't think People of the loud. marine variety. Yeah, sailors, sailors and whatnot. People of the sea. And back then, there were specific themes that they had with these tattoos, whether that's love and loss. Think about kind of memorializing someone or putting someone's name that you love on your body. More professional and military affiliations, sometimes neighborhood affiliations. There was actually a classic way of tattooing, and they call it a stomach collar. And that's tattoos that kind of arc around your stomach. And I think that was traditionally saved for your last name or your neighborhood. So back in the old days of tattooing, there was just like specific areas where you'd get certain things. But back to traditional tattoos. Again, the letter forms of traditional tattoos are pretty much mono weight, mono line, and they're often in all caps, but can sometimes be combined with cursive. And there's like a very minimal style of flourishing. It's actually like a style that I haven't really seen defined in typographic terms. So oftentimes they'd have these monoline all caps, but then little flourishes coming off maybe the curves of the M's or the N's. And there was actually little serifs on all these two, which I found interesting considering that this doesn't really have that clear of a typographic lineage, but instead they kind of created their own uh, style which I really appreciated. And sometimes they have kind of like a Tuscan look to them as well with little crossbars within an uppercase T or stuff like that, or a fun crossbar for uppercase A. So yeah, I just like am excited to use this as a basis for describing a letter form style that I haven't yet seen labels before. I mean, there is an interesting point to make too. I'm like kind of doing some quick researching while you're mm-hmm. chatting. And the tattoo gun only was invented in the late 1891 Mm -hmm. so tattoos before that were like handmade tattoos with sharp instruments and hammering and Mm -hmm. so i have to assume that the styles of what was possible once the gun became popular expanded 
Yes, absolutely. You're going to definitely see a change in technology influencing the look of the tattoos. Oftentimes, too, even when there's like designers right now that specialize in traditional tattoos, they're not using necessarily the super fine needles that we see in a lot more detail, hyper-realistic. The idea of traditional tattoos was these kind of bold graphic lines, sometimes described as cartoon-like. Like if you Google it, you'll see tons of examples, always black shading, even if there's color involved. And a lot of the times, like the text was there to complement like an image, a graphic image of some sort. So yeah, and they get into more detail. I do have to mention in the book, I was reading this article by a tattooist that actually works down the street from me. I was like, I've passed by his mystery tattoo parlor so many times. No idea. It was like world renowned. Bert Crack, I think was his name i'm, just gonna I'm sorry what i think it was yeah it was bert crack b-e-r-t-k-r-a-k that's very unfortunate i'm sorry it might be fitting if you see the work i don't know there's like a hardcoreness to it anyways bert talks about one of the best lettering artists in the game right now in the traditional sense was this guy mike perfetto who then i looked up and googled and found out it's my friend Ralph's uncle, and what? I've seen this man's work all over because my friend Ralph has all his tattoos done by his uncle. So, Whoa. guys, small world. I texted Ralph and was like, Is this your uncle? That's insane. That he's like, first of all, so well known in the traditional tattooing world, and then again, known for his lettering abilities. So, I just had to do a little shout out cool. before moving on to the next style. So exciting. Check him out. Check him out. I wanted to give a little shout out to Mike Perfetto, Ralph Perfetto's uncle. Beyond that, I think the next style is actually quite different from traditional, and it's the West Coast style. Much more geographically rooted in Southern California. Really enjoyed learning about this style because of its relations to podcasts I did way back when about black letter and how black letter typography has permeated subcultures throughout time. The West Coast tattoo style originated from Chicano culture and from street gang culture. And so there was a lot of graffiti going on with black letter and some scripts that were being put up around LA. And that ultimately influenced this style of tattooing that's called West Coast that uses a lot of black letter letter forms and then uses some script letter forms as well. It's getting like more decorative. It's a black and gray style, so it's not really any colors. And it moves to this more hyper-realistic look rather than kind of the really graphic look of traditional and lots of shading involved as well. And what's interesting, a lot of the origins from this come also from the interest in lowriders. I have not seen the word lowriders so many times <laughs> as I have when I was researching <laughs> tattoo lettering. So lowriders from my childhood. Yeah, I was like, whoa. So a lot of people that were doing graffiti art or doing decals for lowriders or art on that, again, very heavy subcultural LA atmosphere and environment kind of made their way to the tattoo world. And I think this was around the 70s. What really kicked it off apparently was a studio that was started pulled. Pulled, it's worth the payoff. I need to find it in here. A tattoo studio started by Don Ed Hardy and Jack Rudy in 1977. I think Ed Hardy is a brand us millennials are very familiar with. So Is I had it? no... What? Oh, just look it up. I think you'd recognize it. I remember it from my like early 2000s life. Interesting. Okay. So 
back then, also, I love that you talked about technology. The fine line style that was used in West Coast was initially done with a lot of makeshift equipment. I love that they describe this. Think guitar strings as needles. And so this was not Ooh. this. I think there were definitely guns back then, but I think to get a very specific fine line, they were kind of doing a lot of makeshift tools, which is interesting, hardcore. But also just so interesting that this was like really popular on the West Coast. I think at this same time, East Coast still had the tradition of the traditional style. And I never really thought of tattoos as like a geographic style within America. Like I know a lot of different cultures have different ways of tattooing, but it made a lot of sense when I kind of saw it from that perspective. And also interesting, if you look at a lot of graphic design that made its way to hip hop culture, I think that is also imbued with a lot of this like black letters, West Coast style that was getting tattooed, but then also putting put on streets. But that's also just like highly technical as well. Like you do have to have a very strong understanding of positive and negative space. And the other the other few lettering styles were script, which I think you mentioned too. I have to say it's not my favorite style of letters for a tattoo either, but just like really skilled. You'd be really skilled. And a lot of the script lettering artists that do tattoos will draw them freehand on someone's body. And a lot of tattooers that do lettering draw freehand. So that I was like incredibly impressed. And it was really interesting. There was specifically when the script style came out, it was like reminiscent of West Coast style, but then people wanted very specific things to be written in the script style. And there were like actually specific albums that were like referenced when I was learning about the script style that was being used as common inspiration for what people had tattooed on them, which like right now, I think we often think people want something sentimental or like heartfelt. But at the time, it said there were songs that gained popularity for the tattooed phrases and oh, among the songs, sorry, among the songs that gained popularity for their tattooed phrases are James Brown's 1958 Try Me, Bloodstone's 1973 single Natural High, and Heat's 1977 hit Always and Forever. I had no idea that this was a specific style and specific text. Yeah, I I didn't either. That's interesting. So that definitely draws some lines within the history. But then I don't want to go into too much else. I don't want to get too dry here. But I think a, a lot of the lettering artists doing letter forms today with tattoos kind of will draw from these inspirations. But some of them are totally drawing from different inspirations altogether. There's some artists that will have a really graphic style of tattoo lettering that isn't flourish, isn't flowery, but is a lot of vertical deep, bold lines. A lot of artists talk about the difficulty of desktop publishing and how people will come in with a default font with some text that they want. And artists will have to say, I can't put this on your arm. The details are going to age and the lines are going to bleed and it's ultimately going to become illegible. That's an issue mm-hmm. a lot of the times that tattoo lettering artists have to take into account when they decide a certain style. And I think like a lot of letter tattoos kind of changed as desktop publishing came out. And I think people were more eager to like use fonts that they saw when oftentimes most artists are like, please don't make me use that font that you saw that, <laughs> you know, because most people might not have the knowledge of what goes behind kind of converting that to a skin canvas and then ultimately how that's going to age, which I always 
forget that aging is also a process that has to be considered like any other production method of like optical sizing or stuff like that when you put letters on a piece of paper. Not to mention, let's not gloss over the fact that you just said the word skin canvas, but also (laughs) like the fact that you're right, aging, but also like it's three dimensional and it's not three dimensional in a consistent way. Like everybody's arm, forearm has a different shape with different features on it of not just like hair or freckles, but veins or mm-hmm. muscles shaped differently. And so it's, it's legit one of those things where like, it's not going to be the same on anybody. And so the yeah. artist who's doing it has to be aware of that. Yeah. And also the expectation of a lot of people thinking that it's like what you're saying with, with digital publishing, even the phrase digital publishing probably feels foreign to a lot of kids these days, like turning 18, <laughs> you know, like yeah. they're not going to be like digital publishing. What? No, I just mean what's on my screen. Yeah. And how difficult that must be to replicate in a way that as generations are getting more and more used to digital being the norm. And Mm -hmm. duplication being without difficulty. Yeah. The expectations, I bet, are raising of what can be done, which uh, the technology hasn't changed much. Yeah. There was tattoo artists talking about image references coming in from clients. And they're like, well, this reference has been photoshopped or this is what it looks like right after the tattoo was given, but you haven't actually seen what the tattoo looks like aged. And like, they kind of have to be the experts that are giving advice on how to handle all that. And also just like interesting thinking, there is an article we feature from Print Mag and they talk about our tattoo artists, typographers, and why have they been pretty much excluded when we talk about renowned lettering artists or people in the typographic world. I can't think of a single tattoo artist that's celebrated by the lettering or typography world that immediately comes to mind there's a generational thing whereas like tattoos are very taboo for a long time deemed tasteless and i think a lot of this was driven because it was started by subcultures a lot of mainstream culture was like oh like well you're less than if you have that and it was something that people saw as like a class delineation where i think that's less so today and the stigma around it is less so and it's obviously less taboo so Where does that mean going forward? Are we going to be like making more? I think there is so much actually to learn for lettering artists and typographers that are working not on skin canvases (laughs) to learn from the tattoo (laughs) artists about the way they consider things and their craft where I hope that we can at some point have more of like a fluid, no boundaries on who's included in the design and typography and lettering Mm. world that we're with. What a great roundup. Oh, thanks. You and your skin canvases. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed. That's the only word I can use to describe it, this. <laughs> so, I mean, don't forget, if you get your skin canvas maimed, you have to put some lotion on the skin. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> my skin canvas maimed. I hate it. I wanted a tattoo while I was doing this research, and now I don't want a tattoo. <laughs> oh, no, you still do. You still do. <sighs> it was very inspiring. I feel like my mom is probably would be very nervous to find out all the artists I now want to have work on my body. But, you know, <laughs> it's okay. That's okay. That's part of the generational gap. Yeah. You're young and pushing the envelope. Exactly. Also, there's a lot of talented people. I definitely recommend looking at the artists featured in the articles we sent. Get that book, The Graphic Art of 
tattoo lettering if this interests you. There's I told Micah before this, I was so shocked how much more material there is on this than I realized because I've been exposed to none of it. And I've been mm. obsessed with letter forms for like years now. So wild. And also you have a lot of tattoos. Like tattoo is not, it's not a foreign thing to you, but yeah. it's true. Like it's just not a thing that's talked about much in the design or typography community. Yeah. Let's start those conversations. You just did. Today. Good work. Good. Amazing. Well, thanks for being a great listener during my spooky, scary nerd alert. (laughs) All right. Well, I guess that's it. Uh, Tune in next week for some other awesome topic. Okay, bye. Do-do-do-do. 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 Do-do-do-do.